Father, it's my prayer that as we now open your word, as we come to look into the face of Christ, that we would adore him as we just sang. Father, I pray that we would give him all the glory, and I pray that we would sing his praises forever. Yes, because we've seen him more real and more true and more right in this time together. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning, and welcome to our fourth Sunday of Advent. As we look with anticipation towards what we will celebrate this coming Sunday, we've, we've been three Sundays on this so far. Josh led us so well from the Old Testament, the first Sunday of Advent, November 30th, as we looked into the promise of God in Genesis 3.15 and traced that promise all the way through the Old Testament to its realization in the New Testament and the coming of Christ. He reminded us a second Sunday that we need an urgency about us as we understand who Christ is and what we need from this Christ and what this Christ provides for us. And last Sunday, we looked into the life of John the Baptist, who so longed for the Christ that when things weren't going the way he expected as a follower of Christ, he sent messengers to Jesus and said, are you the one or should we look for another We saw how we identified with John the Baptist in this world, this fallen world that we still live in. And this morning we're going to look at another picture of Advent and the anticipation of the coming Christ in the book of Luke. So if you would turn with me and look to Luke chapter 2, we'll start in verse 21 and go through the end of the chapter almost. There's a longing for peace. In the hearts of all of mankind. There's not a human being on the planet, present, past, future, that will not have this longing for peace. This week, we recognize a hundred year anniversary of something really significant that happened in human history. For Christmas in 1914, during World War I, some 100,000 British and German troops were engaged in battle on the border of France and Belgium. This is World War I where trench warfare prevailed. Just a bloody, knock-down, drag-out, dirty, wet, nasty war. And out of an innate desire for peace, these two opposing armies subtly... And and mutually, yet it was not planned, it was not contrived, but subtly and mutually, they came upon an unplanned truce. And it started on Christmas Eve, and it continued through Christmas Day, and some reports say that it continued on through even New Year's Day. The Germans, it seems, started it. They set up makeshift Christmas trees in their trenches and above their trenches, and they decorated them. They lit candles even in these trees, and they began to sing Christmas carols in their language. These Christmas carols all sound alike. The tunes are the same, right? Well, the British troops across no man's land and their troops lobbied some Christmas carols back. And so all of a sudden, we're not fighting a war with guns. We're fighting a war with songs, and we're not fighting a war. We're praising together. The two sides continued by shouting Christmas encouragements to one another across the way. And soon, 
Some men stepped out of their trenches and traveled across no man's land to the other trench. And others came out and met them halfway. There's one story of a British soldier who had clippers, hair-cutting clippers in his bag, and he was cutting the hair of a German soldier in no man's land on Christmas Eve. True story. Wasn't there, but all accounts it was a true story. The artillery in this region fell silent, and the truce that happened spontaneously allowed some dead troops to be regathered and buried. And in fact, there were some funeral services that were held jointly with German and British soldiers burying their dead together. One British soldier wrote his mother on December 26th of 1914. I want you to hear just an excerpt from his letter. Dear Mother, I am writing from the trenches. It is 11 o'clock in the morning. Beside me there is a fire. Opposite me a dugout. It's wet with straw in it. The ground is sloppy in the actual trench, but frozen everywhere else. In my mouth is a pipe, and in the pipe is tobacco. Of course you say, but wait. In the pipe is German tobacco. Ha-ha, you say, from a prisoner or found in a captured trench. No. From a German soldier. Yes, a live German soldier. From his own trench. Yesterday, the British and Germans met and shook hands in the ground between the trenches and exchanged souvenirs and shook hands. Yes, all day Christmas Day. Marvelous, isn't it? Yes, it is marvelous. It's astonishing. In World War I, there's this longing for peace in the hearts of the men that are fighting this war. Bitter enemies, Germans against British, trench warfare. But there is a longing that Christmas Eve brings out in these soldiers. There is a desire amongst them and all human beings for peace on earth and goodwill toward men. You've heard that phrase a lot, peace on earth and goodwill towards men. And I want you to know that, that we and, and our secular culture have taken those words out of context. Those are not words that say there will be peace between me and you merely. That, we hope that that will be a residual effect of this. But the peace on earth and goodwill towards men is peace that comes from God to man. The, the odds, okay, the, the need for reconciliation exists not between man and man merely, but it's between God and man. And I want you to know that these World War II, World War I soldiers, although they sought peace and they had peace for Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, it was not the ultimate peace that they needed or wanted. And it was not a lasting peace either because we know the rest of the story. And this was 1914, but World War I was brutal. And by 1917, there was no evidence of peace on earth and goodwill between men. So this is a longing that we see in these soldiers' hearts. But it's a longing that can only be satisfied in getting peace with God. And this morning our text will show us that there is a longing that is set in the hearts of all of mankind for peace on earth, but that peace on earth is between God and man. And today we're going to look into 
a man's life, and we're going to see one who truly longed for peace, the ultimate peace that all mankind needs. So turn with me, Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 21. I'm going to read more than I'll preach from just to set the scene so that we understand what we're dealing with here. So here we go. Luke writes, inspired by the Holy Spirit, these words. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And his name, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and he blessed God and he said this, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. And for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phinuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up to that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. We see here three peoples who are acting out in absolute faithfulness at this Christmas story. We can't break down all three of them. We're going to focus on this Simeon character. But what we need to know, first of all, is that we have a very faithful and obedient Mary and Joseph. They know the Old Testament. They know the laws that God has outlined for his people. And they are following the laws to the letter. On eight days, Jesus was circumcised and given his name that was assigned to him by the angel. And here we're at day 40 of Jesus's life when he is brought into the temple to be consecrated, yes, to the Lord, and for Mary to be purified. We could spend much time on that. I urge you to study those things. But we see a faithful and and obedient Mary and Joseph. And in their faithfulness and in their obedience, they are a blessing to Simeon and Anna. Let's look at Simeon's life and understand what we are to gather from this man and 
how this should apply to us in this day and age. We see here that there's a man in Jerusalem in verse 25. His name is Simeon, and he was righteous and devout. We know very little about Simeon. In fact, this, this is the only thing we know about Simeon. He swoops into Scripture, and briefly we have this account of his life, one piece of his life, and now he's going to depart after this passage, and we never hear from him again. I'd love to meet Simeon one day. Perhaps I will in heaven. I would love to interview him and understand more about his life. But what we do know from his life is fabulous. This story is amazing. His name, Simeon, means God has heard. And names have a big significance in the Bible. Jesus means he will save us from our sins. Christ means the promised one. Simeon means God has heard. What has he heard? He has had heard the cries of his people. It's amazing that Simeon would be the name of the one that we're going to read about in this story. And we have no doubt that his mom and dad were faithful followers of God, of Yahweh of the Old Testament for them to name their son such. We also know this. We, we don't know an age of Simeon, but we can surmise from this that he was very old because he was told by the Holy Spirit, by God himself, you will not die until you see the Christ. And when he sees this Christ, he says, Lord, now I may die because I have peace. So we can assume that this is an old man whose name means God has heard. That's all we really gather from that biographically. But we know a lot more about Simeon spiritually. And this is the important stuff. And Luke does not short us on details. He says here that Simeon was a righteous and devout man. I want us to understand righteous and devout. This is not mere morality. He was not just a good man. Morals are important, but morals do not save. Righteousness saves. And righteousness can only be granted to a person from God. None of us can claim righteousness for ourselves in our deeds, in our thoughts, in our actions. So he has been declared by God the Holy Spirit as righteous. And in his righteousness, he is devout. He believes the word of God. He lives the Word of God. He reads it. He memorizes it. He meditates on it. I'm certain he prays it and he does it. This is a righteous and devout man, not just a good guy. And we see also that this righteousness has something that accompanies it. It's the Holy Spirit. Three times, look in verses 25, 26, and 27. We see in verse 25, the Holy Spirit was upon him there at the end of that verse. In verse 26, the Holy Spirit revealed to him that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And then in verse 27, he came into the temple in the Spirit. This is a righteous and devout, God-fearing man. And I urge you, to live out a righteous and devout life. It's the way to go. And things happen in your relationship with the Lord when you obey Him and you know Him and you read Him and you rightly relate to Him. And because of His righteousness and devotion, the Holy Spirit's upon Him and He was especially anointed by God for this very moment that we're now going to look into. 
Look at what is said to Simeon. He is promised by the Holy Spirit something very unique. You, Simeon, will not die before you see the Lord's Christ. Simeon is unique. You know, we said last Sunday, John the Baptist was unique. He's the greatest of all the Old Testament prophets. Why? Because what he prophesied, he actually saw and realized. He was the prophet who proclaimed the coming Christ and saw the coming Christ. Well, Simeon is much like John the Baptist in that he knows of the Christ, the promised one. And he's told by the Holy Spirit, by God, you will not die without having laid your eyes upon him. He was told this, yes, directly by the Holy Spirit. And so what I, what I have surmised from this is that Simeon was promised physical life. Listen to this. Simeon was promised physical life until he held his eternal life. And we'll see here in a moment that Simeon gathers this Christ child into his arms. And he holds his eternal life in his arms. And is now ready to give up the physical life that he was promised up to that point. And we see that Simeon believed this promise for all that it was. So, Simeon here is faithfully believing in a promise. He's faithfully waiting. And look at what he's waiting for. He is told, you will not see death until you hold this one. And he was righteous and devout, and he was waiting for this title that's given to Christ, the consolation of Israel. I want you to circle that. That is a title for Jesus Christ, the consolation of Israel. What does consolation mean? It's not language that we use every day. Consolation means to be comforted. It means to be encouraged. It means to be strengthened. Consolation comes with peace. And Simeon is longing for peace. He's longing for consolation and strength and encouragement. And I want to ask the question this morning, where did Simeon's longing for consolation come from? Well, I want to take you all the way back to the very beginning because it began long, long before Simeon ever drew breath. This consolation of Israel has been thriving in the hearts and minds of people for millennia. Because God created man long ago, thousands of years before Simeon in this scene that we're at. God created the heavens and the earth, and it says he made everything perfect, and it was good. On the sixth day, God made man, and he made man in his own image and in his own likeness, and it was perfect, and all was well. But then we see that God, as he made man, gave man one instruction. Obey me, man. You can eat of everything. All that's in this garden. But there's one tree. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Do not eat of it. For in the day that you eat of it. You will surely die. And we know the tragedy. We know that man ate. We know that man disobeyed God. And instantly in that moment. Sin entered into the world. And death through sin. And death spread to 
all men because all men come from Adam and Eve. And at that moment, when Adam and Eve defied God's command, peace was broken. Consolation was needed. And so God goes into the garden and confronts man and woman. They're hiding from him. They're shamed. And he comes to them and says, where are you? And they said, we're afraid. You hear the need for consolation? You hear the need for peace? Man says to God, I heard you walking in the garden and I was afraid. I needed to be consoled. I needed peace because I've done something wrong, Father. And so God, looking at this scene, a scene that he foreknew, makes a promise. This is what we heard about in our first Advent Sunday. In cursing the serpent that tempted Eve to take and eat of this tree and hand the fruit to Adam, in cursing the serpent, he says, I will put enmity, I will put hostility between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And that promise right there set in motion a longing in humankind's hearts for consolation. And peace. And God had revealed in that, from that moment forward, that He would provide consolation and that it would come from an offspring of the woman, a son whom everyone would long for and look for. In Simeon's day and in the days of John the Baptist, God had been silent. Because from that Genesis 3.15 promise all the way forward, Josh took us through verses after verse after verse in the Old Testament where there was a promise made of a coming one who would deliver God's people from bondage. And the bondage was to sin. But in Malachi, that's the last word that Simeon had on God making these promises. There in Malachi 3.1, Uh, Malachi writes, Behold, I send my messenger, who was John the Baptist, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. And then, as we saw last week, 400 years of silence. And Simeon is living in this moment now where the silence is broken. And so Simeon is at this moment where he will realize the promise from Genesis 3.15, the promise in the rest of Genesis, in the book of Exodus, through Leviticus and through Isaiah, all the way to Malachi, there's this promise that is intertwined through all of the Scriptures and all of God's people's history. Simeon lives in a moment where he will see the consolation of Israel, the promise fulfilled, the yes of God, Jesus Christ, delivered. And when he does, I want you to note two things that he does when this happens. There's two things that we'll look at here next. First, Simeon prays. And second, Simeon prophesies. Look with me in verse 27. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, Now you are letting your servant depart in peace, according to your word. 
For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. What does Simeon do upon discovering the Christ? He gathers him into his arms and he prays and he blesses God. I love to read the Bible and look into the reaction that people have when they discover Jesus Christ. It's a worthwhile study. Read your New Testament, and when people discover Christ, watch what they do. I love what Andrew does. When he discovers Christ, he runs to his brother Simon, soon to be called Peter, and he says this. He says, we have found the Messiah. The Messiah means the promised one. The consolation of Israel. Philip, in that same time, when Philip discovers Jesus, he runs to his friend, his fellow student of the Old Testament, Nathaniel, and he says this. He says, we have found the one of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote about, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Upon discovering, he's excited. And what does he do? He goes and shares the good news with someone else. Later in Jesus' life, when he rises from the dead, I love Thomas's response when he discovers the resurrected Jesus. He says, my Lord and my God. Well, Simeon here is one of these guys that we get to look into his life and we get to see the moment. We get to see the moment that he discovers the Messiah the promised one of God. And the scriptures tell us that he took this baby up in his arms and he blessed God. He worshiped. He waited. He longed. He ached for this promise to be fulfilled. And here in the moment, it is being fulfilled. And the first thing he does is he blesses the God who delivered And he says this, Lord, now you are letting me depart in peace according to your word. In peace. Simeon is consoled. It is the consolation of Israel that he's holding. He wants peace. He wants encouragement. He wants strength. He wants comfort, and he's holding the source of all of that. Jesus Christ, very God with us. And he says, Father, I am consoled. Now I can die. He embraces death because he has something far more in his arms right now than physical life. He has his eternal life in Jesus Christ. Simeon saw 2 Corinthians 1.20 happen. 2 Corinthians 1.20 All the promises of God are made yes in Jesus Christ. And God throughout the centuries has said, I will provide peace. In fact, in Isaiah 40, he says comfort. He says this, comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. We have a God that has 
pardoned us, has consoled us. And the only source of pardoning and consoling is Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace. And so Simeon, again, as I said earlier, was promised physical life until he met his eternal life in the flesh. And here he is, like no one before, holding the promise of God. But Simeon's not done there. That's not all that he does. And I don't like to read the Bible selfishly, but it is right for us to say, okay, where am I in this passage? Am I to be found in here? And I want you to know this morning, church, we are in this passage. Because it goes on. And, and he says, Simeon says, I'm ready to depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. And look at this in verse 31. Mine eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory for your people Israel. John says you have brought salvation to all peoples. A light for revelation to the Gentiles. That would be you and me. I think I'm 100% right on that in this room. I don't know that for sure, but you and I are not of Jewish ancestry. We are Gentiles. And here Simeon is proclaiming that he is recognizing the promised consolation of, yes, Israel. But he goes on to say that this is a light for the Gentiles, a light for all peoples. There is good news in this for you and for me. Listen to what Isaiah wrote in 9, chapter 9, verses 1 through 2. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. Not just of Israel, of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. And Simeon says here, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, to the nations, to all peoples. If you're here this morning and you're a believer in Jesus Christ... It happened because he appeared, Simeon held him up and blessed God and said, the promise has been fulfilled. And at some moment in your life, as a believer in Jesus Christ, you've had a moment where you have discovered your consolation, your source of peace with God. And I would urge you this morning to bless God for that. I would urge you tonight in family Advent devotions, maybe around the fireplace, I don't think it's too hot for that, to bless God for the realization that you have been consoled by Christ Jesus. Peace has been brought to you. Between you and God, peace now exists because God has delivered His source of peace, His Son, Jesus Christ. If you're, not, if you're here this morning and you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, I, I want you to know that God faithfully pursues 
all people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want you to know for certain that God wants to console you. And I want you to know for certain, because I've been in your shoes before, you are not at peace. You are uneasy at moments in your life. Sure, there's seasons where you feel good and strong about how things are going, but I want you to know that at the end of every day, at some moment, at some end of some season, you have an understanding that all is not well if you're outside of Christ. That's a gift from the Lord. That's called conviction. And that's called beckoning you. Because God wants to console you. God wants to deal with that lack of ease, that lack of peace that exists in you. And so he encounters you in his word. He encounters you by you coming and hearing the word proclaimed. He encounters you in songs about him. He encounters you in situations in life. And all along he is beckoning you saying, I want to console you. I want to bring you peace. I'd love for you to entertain and embrace my consolation, Jesus Christ. I've prayed in advance of this sermon this week. Father, would you console us? Would you remind us that those that believe in Christ have been consoled? And would you enable us to live lives that reflect being consoled and at peace? And I've prayed, Father, would you bring those that don't believe in Jesus Christ? And would you console them and set them at ease and bring them into peace with you through belief in your Son, Jesus Christ? Yes, Simeon prayed, just like Isaiah wrote in Isaiah 46, 13. I'm sorry, 25, verse 1. O Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will praise your name, for you have done wonderful things. Plans formed of old, faithful and sure. It will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. That's what Isaiah wrote 700 years before Simeon basically praised that. So Simeon proclaims good news for even you and me in that we have embraced and we have seen a light to the Gentiles. Now look at Simeon's prophecy. In verse 33, And his father and his mother marveled, at what was said about him. Can you just imagine Mary and Joseph watching Simeon holding their son Jesus and proclaiming these prayers to God the Father? In verse 34, And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And then look at the parentheses. And a sword will push through your own soul also, Mary. So that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. So Simeon blessed God. He prayed to God acknowledging this salvation for the Gentiles and yes for Israel. And now Simeon blesses Mary. And he prophesies two very specific things to her. Incidentally, where's Joseph in this prophecy? Well, Joseph we know. After Jesus at the age of 12 is left behind in the temple. We never hear of Joseph again. Silent, the scriptures are silent about Joseph's whereabouts. 
Joseph is no, no other time mentioned in Jesus' life. He's not seen at the cross of Christ. We, we never hear of Joseph again. And it's interesting that Simeon would prophesy this directly to Mary. There's mystery there we don't understand. But here's what he prophesies to Mary. Two things, basically. He prophesies separation. And I'll unpack that here in a moment. And he prophesies piercing. And I'll unpack that. Separation. He says, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many. And he says, a sign that is opposed. So there's going to be some that are going to fall. There's going to be some that are going to rise. And there's going to be some opposition to this son. And he was appointed to it. Isaiah 8, we just... Constantly in Isaiah through, through these Advent sermons. But Isaiah 8, starting in verse 13. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear and let him be your dread. And he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel. A trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many shall stumble on it. They shall fall and be broken. They shall be snared. And taken. Mary, Simeon says, this son of yours, while he is our consolation, he is the yes to the promises of God the Father. He is going to be one that many are going to fall and stumble over. Sounds just like what John wrote. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people didn't receive him. They fell on this stone of salvation. They stumbled over it. John goes on to say, but those who did believe in him, he gave the right to become children of God, born not of blood, nor of the will of man, nor of flesh, but born of God. Those are the ones that rise. And so Mary, this precious little baby that I am blessing God for, that is our consolation. I want you to know something, Mary. I'm going to prophesy to you, Mary. The future has some opposition, some falling and some rising, and some separation. And people are going to be divided extremely over your son. Second, he prophesies something even more extreme for Mary. He prophesies about a, a piercing. Look at the, per, the parentheses. Do not skim over something that's in parentheses. This is John providing more details and narrating it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And he says this, A sword will pierce through your own soul also. That's a heavy message at Christmas, right? A sword will pierce through your own soul also, Mary. There's going to be division and opposition and separation. But Mary, let's, let's come to you now. Your own soul is going to be pierced because of this baby that I'm holding. It would grieve Mary to be a mother of Jesus and to watch him. From birth forward endure persecution after persecution after persecution. 
We talked about this in Sunday school this morning. The persecution of Jesus Christ began at his birth. No room for him at the end. Born in a manger. But then early in life, Herod declares that all baby boys two years old and younger must be put to death. He wants to snuff out the promised one, the consolation of Israel. And so from a very young age, Jesus is persecuted. And his mother Mary, no doubt, is watching, and this is piercing to some degree, her soul running with her child covered up and huddled up in her arms. It no doubt pierced her to watch the Pharisees and the Sadducees persecute Jesus Christ and plot against him. And it no doubt grieved to see her son crucified. We know from John's account that Mary was at the cross of Christ. It's the only one of the Gospels that tells us that she was there. Standing at the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister. And when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, that's John, he says to the mother, Woman, behold your son. Not not me, Mary. John, I'm going to die. I want you to behold your new son, John. And John, I want you to behold your mother. And right then and there, Jesus delegated the care of Mary, his mother, to John because Jesus was about to die. I want you to imagine the piercing of Mary's soul to watch her son hang on a cross and die and watch her care be transferred over to another named John. Think about that. But I want you to know it's worse than that. Mary was a faithful and righteous and obedient Israelite woman. Mary was an embracer and believer and studier of the Old Testament, no doubt. And Mary knew that on that cross was not only her son, it was her Messiah that was being put to death and struck for being God himself in the flesh with us. So Mary has grieved, I want you to know, like no mother in the history of humankind. And Simeon here prophesies that there will be a sword that will pierce through her own soul. And this is a foretelling of the passion of Jesus Christ in his cross and death and burial and resurrection. Our RPCA kids had a Christmas program Friday. And they had a tremendous song that they sang. You can't have Christmas without... Uh, is Charlie out there? Charlie, finish it for me. You can't have Christmas without... And you can't have Christmas without the cross. That was the theme of the RPCA Christmas program. You cannot have Christmas without Jesus, and you cannot have Christmas without the cross. And Simeon is where we get that from. Because at Christmas, when Simeon, at 40 days of birth, after birth for Jesus, when he's holding the consolation of Israel, he says, yes, this is Jesus, and yes, there's going to be a cross. And there's going to be division over this one, and there's going to be piercing over this one. So, the human life that we live is one 
filled with longing for consolation. Why do we want to be consoled? Well, in the flesh, life is hard, isn't it? Our finances are uncertain. And so we long for jobs that give us stable and lucrative income. Our health is very shaky. And we think the solution is found in health insurance and doctors. Our relationships are strained in church and family and home and work. Just relationship strife everywhere. And we long for consolation in those settings. We know for certain that death is coming. Every one of us does not have delusions of grandeur. We know we will die. And we do great things. We go to great lengths to prevent this. Exercise, diet. We take all kinds of drugs to stave off death. Finding security and consolation in these things. But I want you to know, we we were told something on November 30th. uh, Josh's phrase just does not leave me. There was a shadow... These promises are shadows of things, but the substance is Jesus Christ. So we have these shadows of longings for consolation financially and health and relationships and to, to stave off death. Those are, those are things that we long for, but they are mere shadows to what we really need. We really need consolation and peace between us and God. And I want you to know this morning that we've heard from this story, this historical event, that we have it. Christian, you have consolation with God. And here's the most amazing thing. This came up in our staff meeting this last week. We need peace with God because we wronged God. And the amazing thing is, God is the one... That provides the consolation. We have sinned against God. We've defied his commands. Every one of us. And God himself is the one that pays the price. So that we can be at peace with him. We don't go broker peace. We don't get a third party to broker peace for us. Uh, We don't get it on our own. We don't pursue righteousness on our own. And work our way into good standing with God again. And rebalance the scales. There's nothing that we can do. In fact, the scales are so lopsided against us that it is hopeless. And God says, I'm going to balance those scales. I'm going to bring consolation to my people. I'm going to bring peace and comfort and hope for a future. And I will do it in the form of my one and only son. That is what we celebrate at Christmas. God stepping out of eternity into time and paying the price for our sins so that we can be made right with him. And it is true. We cannot have Christmas without Christ. And we cannot have Christmas without his cross. So are you unable to be satisfied in life? Do you live constantly in angst and just agitated and never fully at peace? Perhaps God is preparing you for the discovery of His Son, Jesus Christ. He's the only source of consolation that will satisfy you. And He came for you. And I pray this morning that you have seen this and trusted this once and for all. He has come. 
And he is our consolation. Let's pray. Father, we sing, O come let us adore him. Simeon no doubt adored Jesus as he held him in his arms. He worshipped and praised you for sending him. And may we be like Simeon this morning in doing just that. Father, we acknowledge that we long for peace and comfort and hope. And I pray on behalf of these that are here this morning that we, we need to confess that we have looked to things of this world to bring us that. And every time we do, any peace or comfort that we do seem to gain is only momentarily and then it quickly evaporates and we're right back to where we were. Father, I acknowledge that our only true consolation, a consolation that will never evaporate, is found only in Jesus Christ. So let us come and adore Him, Father. Show us this over and over again. And Lord, like Simeon, and like Andrew, and like Philip, would You make us be a people that goes and proclaims this consolation to a lost and dying world so that they can join us in living at peace with you once and for all and for all eternity. And I pray this in the strong name of our consolation, Jesus Christ. Amen.